Good morning. My name is Marco Zapata. I'm an elder here at Christ the King. And I also lead worship for both our English and our Spanish services. By the way, if you ever meet anybody at the grocery store, at the mechanic shop, whatever, and, and uh, please grab one of these cards. They're out there in the foyer. Uh, we have Spanish service here at 1. I would love to meet anybody that's interested in worshiping God in Spanish. Um, I have one year to go in seminary studies, hopefully to become a, an ordained minister here in the PCA. And I'm very blessed to be here this morning helping out a, a little bit and filling the pulpit. Thank you, Pastor Chuck and Dawson, who's away on vacation. Must be nice. Uh, so in the past weeks, we have been studying a section in the Psalms called the Songs of the Saints. These Psalms are 15 Psalms, and they go from 120 to 134. And if this is your first Sunday here, allow me to briefly summarize what the Songs of the Saints are about. So back in the Old Testament, uh, Jewish people had about, yeah, had three major celebrations. And during this time, they would pack up their things and prepare for a long journey, and they would start making their way towards Jerusalem, towards Zion, as they call it. Um, this is where the temple was. So Jerusalem is about 5,000 feet above sea level, which is one of the reasons for this name, Songs of Ascents, or Gradual Psalms is another name that has been given as well. So if, if you study these psalms, they're amazing. Nothing in, in the psalms is by chance. There's poetry and symmetry. It's The more you get into it, like you're amazed by how well this is all put together. But if you go back and you study uh, Psalm 120, you find that these pilgrims are in a faraway land called Meshach. And then you go through the progression, and eventually, at Psalm 134, we have arrived to the holy city, to Jerusalem. Another cool fact is that once you finally arrived at the temple, in order to go up into the front door, you had to go up this, set, uh, this staircase with how many steps do you think? Fifteen. So it's believed that some people would go up the first step and chant or sing Psalm 120, and then go up the second step and chant or sing 121, and so on, all the way till they reach the top, 134. So this ascent, ascension or this gradual is not only a physical one. As you went through these psalms, and they all knew it by memory, you would feel your spirit and your worship and your praise going up in ascension. So this is also a spiritual ascent. So today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 128. And it's a psalm about blessing. It's a happy psalm. First, I would like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this moment to meditate in your word. We pray that you open up our minds, that we may recognize the truth and the power found in your scripture. But more than anything, we pray that you soften up our hearts, that we may be able to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So let me start by reading Psalm 128. It's going to be up here on the screen. And it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So about two weeks ago, I went to my mom's house, and I was sitting at her kitchen table. And she says, so I hear you're going to be preaching at Christ the King. What are you going to be preaching on, huh? I said, yeah, Mom, I'm going to be preaching on, on Psalm 128. <gasps> oh, I love that one. Really? Okay, yeah. Oh, it's great. As a matter of fact, I've always wanted one of your cousins from Mexico the ones that write really pretty in calligraphy, and we do have cousins that write in calligraphy. I don't know why, but we do. And then you get one of them and then do it really nice and pretty for me and because I want to frame it because this is a psalm that I've always loved. It's a psalm about family, and it's a psalm about blessing. It's a psalm about happiness, and I'm sitting there taking notes. Come on, preach on, Mom. Give me, <laughs> give me some more pointers for my sermon here. But she's right. This is a great psalm. As a matter of fact, they, pre- they say it at many weddings um, for the married couple. It's a great psalm. It's about happiness. And who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed, and we all want that for our families. This psalm says that those that walk in his ways will be blessed. But if you're anything like me, often we feel like our way is best, not the Lord's way. We feel that, the path, that our path is better than the path that the Lord has laid out for us. So today we're going to be looking at three points. We're going to be looking at the ones that the Lord blesses, present blessings, and then future blessings. Let's start with the ones that the Lord blesses. Who are they? If we go back to verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let's leave it there for, for a bit. So although it, it is saying that the blessing is for everyone, right after it, a condition follows. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So verse 1 is telling us that the key or the pathway to the blessing is the fear of the Lord. I want to talk about the word fear for a little bit because a lot of times we might think of fear as terror or being afraid. Perhaps we get this idea that God could possibly just strike us down with lightning and there's nothing we can do about it. So in Hollywood movies, one of the things that the director has to do is to try to make the bad guy seem as bad as he possibly can be. You all know this. They make him seem almost chaotic or out of control. So you've all seen these scenes where he gets some bad news or he's angry and then he turns around and poor, maybe his own bodyguard or people on his side, he might punch him or hurt him or something. And we're like, whoa, you know, anybody would be afraid of a uh, chaotic guy. He's out of control. But thankfully, that's not the God that we have. We do not have an unpredictable, chaotic God or one that doesn't care about the good of creation. We have a God that does care And we have a God that's completely faithful to his promises. And he is faithful to his people. So 
when this psalm is talking about fearing the Lord, we're talking more about reverence. We're talking about awe. So it's more of a healthy fear that is required. This is the fear that a son feels for his loving father in that he does not want to behave unworthily and offend him by sinning. I like to think of it like this. To fear the Lord is not so much what God may do to me, but it's more like how do I think and how do I feel towards a God that has already loved me? What is my response to him? That's more fear of the Lord, I think. One of my favorite Bible characters in, has, since I've been a little boy has been Joseph in the Old Testament. And the reason why is because the Bible doesn't have too many bad things to say about Joseph. This is a guy that whenever he opens up his mouth, you can tell, wow, this is a guy that fears the Lord. We all know his story. His brothers don't like him very much. As a matter of fact, they, they hate him so much that they plan to kill him and then end up selling him as a slave. So here goes poor Joseph. He goes to the land of Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house, which is one of the main offic- the Pharaoh's officials. And he's so great. He has a great character. So he, he starts going up the ranks in servitude. And on a certain occasion, Joseph finds himself alone with Potiphar's wife in the house. And the wife tries to make a sexual advancement on Joseph. And Joseph, first of all, he puts an immediate halt on this. He says, no. My master, Potiphar, he trusts me. And then he says one of the greatest phrases in the whole Bible, if you ask me. He says, I will not do this. How then can I do this great wickedness? Listen to this. In sin against God. Not sin against Potiphar. Because a lot of times we say, oh, no, I shouldn't do this to my neighbor. That's wrong. Or I'm not going to lie to my teacher. No, that's wrong. But Joseph was wired differently. At all times, he knew that the big thing with sin is that every time we do it, all it's doing is creating a bigger gap and a bigger void between us and God. So Joseph was a man that truly feared God. When you truly fear God, you desire to honor and please him with obedience. And you have a fear of offending him by sinning. So let me ask you this. What does this look like in your own life? What sort of evidence do you have that you are fearing the Lord? That, that you are a person that fears the Lord? Well, the same verse 1 gives us the answer. It says that if you fear the Lord, you will walk in his ways. So one of the things that I think is interesting, especially in our culture today, is that most people believe that obeying or believing in God is a matter of choice. Ah, it's my choice. Ah, yeah, I believe in God. Or, nah, nah, I'm not really. I don't believe in God. Or, yeah, I believe in God, but I just choose not to obey him. Folks, the, the highway speed limit is not a matter of choice. It's the law. God doesn't tell, if you go to the Bible, he doesn't ever tell humanity, believe in me if you want to. He never says that. It's the law, and if throughout the whole Bible, we're going to see that same thing. If we go to Deuteronomy 28, it says, blessings for obedience 
and then the description, and then it says curses for disobedience. And this has always been the divine way for the one true God. This same idea of obedience versus disobedience follows throughout all of Scripture. It's not just only for his children. It's for everybody that has ever been born and for everybody that will, will ever be born. So here is the bad news for us. We are all disobedient. All of us, not, not a single one of us deserves um, praise. We all deserve to be cursed. Not one of us can be fully obedient and follow his ways by the power of his own strength. But here is the good news. We have a God that loved us so much that took the curse of disobedience from us, and those that trust him will be blessed in him. So let's go to these present blessings now. What are these blessings that we're talking about presently? Verse 2 says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. Here we see that if we walk in his ways, the Lord will bless our work, whatever it is. Some people are under the impression that work is a curse that came in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell in sin. It's like, ah, come on, Adam, come on, Eve. You mess up and now I have to work for it? But this view is completely wrong. That's not true. If we look at the count of creation closely, we'll see in Genesis 2 that God commanded Adam and Eve to work in the garden before sin ever entered the picture. So work is not a punishment on human beings for their sin. What we do know is that after sin, after the fall, work became more arduous. Work became stressful and less productive. But that was never the original design that God had. As a matter of fact, we were created in God's own image, and God showed us the perfect work design by example. God worked and created everything in existence, and after that, only after he worked, he rested. He showed us the perfect way. God is a worker So we, as human beings, are workers by virtue of being made in God's image. That is why we follow his command to work. It says, you shall eat the fruit of your labor. If you remember in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, we see that the people of God were so disobedient constantly that all these neighboring enemy nations would come in and they would plunder and destroy all their their crops. Imagine how frustrating this must be. You work and you labor all year long, and then at the end, it would get destroyed or stolen. And think about your own job. Scripture is very clear. It says, If you do not obey me, you shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Another verse says, If you do not obey me, you shall sow your seed in vain. For your enemies shall eat it. But let's go back to happiness, because this is a happy psalm after all, right? This is a picture of a happy farmer who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. God tells him, if you trust me, I will not forget about you. You will be blessed. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. 
And I know this truly applies to us today. This is, this is not just some old psalm. Whether you are in the military, if you are a stay-at-home mom, if you are in education, if you go every day to work knowing with the idea that everything you do is to honor and praise God and you're helping in the advancement of his kingdom, you can feel blessed and you don't have to worry that he will bless you or not. He wants to bless you. So if right now you're going into work like, I don't know about my job and you're feeling like you shouldn't be there, I, I would suggest that the first thing you think about is, hmm, I really start, I, I need to start thinking about something else to do. No, that same feeling is just going to follow you everywhere you go. I would suggest that what you should be thinking about is thinking about if everything I do at my job, no matter what I do, am I doing this to glorify God? Think about it. Pray about it before you go to work. I think things will start looking differently. In verse 3, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. The Old Testament has about more than 200 botanical terms. And using agricultural terms was very efficient to teach because the Hebrew culture was so heavily influenced by it. Most of them were in agriculture, or most of them knew about it, So when it says that the wife will be a fruitful vine, it's referring here to fertility. The mother is the bringer of joy around the house. You will be blessed with a big, fruitful, happy family. But like our pastor Chuck reminded us last week, this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. It's not saying go out and have as many kids as as possible, like the Duggars, (laughs) right? This is saying that there is blessing in everything. If you have a big family, praise God. If you have a small family like mine, there's only three of us, praise God. If you are single, um, there's blessing in everything. We just, a lot of times, our our eyes are not open to it. When the, um, notice how the wife is within her house. The mother is not out and about all the time. There is no place she'd rather be but with her beloved family, enjoying each other's company. They all feel blessed to be together, praising God. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now it's comparing children to olive shoots. Pastor Chuck last week also uh, reminded us of the importance of the olive tree. Some types of olive trees, listen to this, they take up to, they say, up to 40 years to produce any kind of fruit at all. Wow, 40 years. But yet, at the end, it's all worth it because it becomes the most beautiful, the most productive, the most essential of trees. The fruit, you, you know, olive, olives are a main dish or a main ingredient in the Mediterranean diet. The olive oil, you can use it in any recipe. It's essential. Then you use the olive for candlelight. So what we see here is that it has so many uses, and it's so essential, but it takes time. 
And we have a lot of young families here with young children. It's similar, isn't it? We have to nurture our kids, and we have to be patient with them, teaching them about God, knowing that one day they will be productive and they will be a blessing around the home. Hopefully it doesn't take 40 years like the olive tree, right? Some of us do. If you are sitting here right now and you have children in that room or here worshiping God and learning about him, I really congratulate you. There is no better decision that you can make for the livelihood of your family. You could possibly say, oh, I know, let's, let's get the best education there is in El Paso. Let's get piano classes. Let's get martial arts classes. Whatever, whatever it is, those are all great things. Yes, but what good are they if we don't have Jesus in our lives? By being here today, you are saying, I want my child to be a God-fearing individual. I want him to know Jesus. And one day, when he grows up, I want him to teach that same thing to my grandchildren. I urge you to continue to do this. You are on the right path. And then finally, let's look at some future blessings. In verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Some believe that when it says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, it's talking about the blessings over the church, over the people of God. Some others believe that it means sort of a national blessing. I, I believe it's both. We should consistently pray for all our brothers and sisters and their families here at Christ the King and other churches, yes, but we should also be praying consistently for our nation's well-being. And I think it's great that here at Christ the King, every Sunday we pray for our Congress, our governors, our leaders, and so on. We should continue to do that always. Then it says in verse 6, May you see your children's children. This is great. Not only will the Lord bless us today, He's promising to keep on blessing us for several generations after. I think that future blessings is an even bigger blessing than present blessings. The problem is that we have become too much of an instant society. Think about how frustrated we get with that no internet symbol. You know the one you get on your phone? And it's only there for like three seconds, but ah, we want to break stuff. We want things now. We, we need them to happen now. The idea of delayed gratification is sometimes an idea that's so foreign to us. So we are unable to see in faith what lies ahead of us because we are so blinded by whatever tangible thing we have right in front of us. But Christianity is a lot like that. We'll find that these blessings go even beyond this earthly life as we will receive eternal life through Christ's death on our behalf. We, as Christians, look forward with anticipation and true hope that future blessings are promised by God himself. And one day, Jesus will come again and make all things new, 
there will be no more pain or sickness or heartache. And so we wait in hopeful anticipation for the true future blessing of Jesus' return. If you are not a Christian, I ask you, where is your future hope? The Bible tells us, tells us of a man, God's own son, who took our curse that we might be blessed in him. So for all of us in this room, let's look to Jesus, our true blessing, as we desire to rest in him. And I want to close with this thought. We are basing this whole series, A, a Sermons of the Songs of Ascents, on this book by Eugene Peterson, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about this one idea that I thought was great, and it's been on my head for the last couple of days. He says that it doesn't matter if we're in church or outside of church, there's this idea that goes around that Christianity is the hard way, and the way of the world is the easy way. Christianity is hard, they'll say. It's just a bunch of rules, and, no, and it's no fun. But we really have to put some thought into this. God, as we saw earlier, created this world and everything in it. So the entire infrastructure around us was designed so that we could worship God. If we use the Songs of Ascents, the pilgrimage analogy, and tie it up together with this, it's like God is telling us, this is the road to Jerusalem. This is the path to salvation. All you have to do is follow this road. Like countless others that have listened to my voice in the past, and they have arrived. Follow that path. But what do we want to do instead? Instead, we want to listen to the lies of the world. We want to hear voices like the serpent's voice saying, ah, there's a better road. That's not the only road, you know. You can make your own road. Just follow, follow your heart. You, you'll get there. And we want to grab our machete, and we want to bushwhack our way through the wilderness, stumbling upon rocks and thorns, trudging along through life, dragging our feet mile after mile in the wrong direction. And then finally, one day we will stop and we will find ourselves exhausted in a place we don't even want to be in. And then we will ask the silly question, how, how did I get here? What went wrong? You know what went wrong. We will start blaming everybody else for our misfortune. Brothers, sisters, I strongly urge you not to follow that path. For your own sake and for the sake of your family and your children, whom we are leading by example, do not listen to the lies of the world. Follow the road to Jerusalem. Perhaps the greatest thing Jesus ever said was, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one will get to the Father. No one will get to salvation except through me. So follow Jesus. His ways and God's presence are where we experience 
true happiness that lasts. All you who fear God, how happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you. Forgive us for not always following your path. We pray that you give us the wisdom and the strength to follow your son Jesus, for he is the only true way to you. And in his name we pray. Amen.